Hi, and welcome back to a podcast above a convenience store, uh, talking Twin Peaks. Uh, I'm Joe Fremming. With me, as always, is Paul Muadib. Hello, everyone. And uh, we sound a little more serious about this episode as opposed to last episodes. It is probably because this is a very heavy episode. This is... uh, this episode goes into some dark, dark places mm-hmm. that uh, traumatized me as a kid. I'm not going to lie. The reveal of who killed Laura Palmer is one of those things that just burned in my memory for the rest of my life. I had nightmares at the time, and I still occasionally do have nightmares just because of how how it's presented and how they did it. And it's just it's the, one of the freakiest things I've ever seen on television and in movies. I'm not going to lie. So we've talked a little bit about this episode and um, I think what I want to do, because you and I both have very vivid images of when we were kids of what we experienced watching this particular episode. So I want to get up to that part and I think we should both tell our stories. Uh, Right now? No, 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 no. no, When we get to it? When we we get get to to it. it. Because... Honestly, people, this is a haunting reveal of who Mr. Tajamara is. I am floored <laughs> to this day. Just, I had no idea. <laughs> I completely forgot that was in this episode, honestly, so I had to crack that one. Absolutely. No, absolutely. I mean, that is, that's almost as uh, riveting as when we find out uh, who uh, M.T. Wentz was. <laughs> Over John Justice Wheeler, <laughs> and then along with John, yeah, with the introduction of John Justice Wheeler, oh, uh, and yeah. Ted Raimi. <laughs> Ted Raimi, I love Ted Raimi, so I give him a pass for the ridiculousness that he was involved with. <laughs> Ted Raimi always gets a pass from me for the most part. So fair enough, fair All enough. Right. So the episode we're reviewing is called "Lonely Souls." It was the seventh episode in season two. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is uh, pretty much where it all came to a head with the back background drama. Uh, we've talked about the butting heads between Lynch Frost, Lynch Frost versus the studio, and it, this is the reason why is they wanted the reveal of who killed Laura Palmer. Yes. Yes. And this episode starts out with Cooper... Gordon, Truman, Andy, Hawk, and Mike, a.k.a. Philip, are all drinking coffee in the line in the lobby. <laughs> and, yeah. So, yeah, it kind of starts off a little lighter, except Mike, uh, he's reciting what we heard in the last episode mm-hmm. about, like, where he, he knows where Bob is. And is he, he, this kind of like a retreading of what he said to, like, many rooms People come in, different people are there, in and out. I mean, he's just talking about the Great Northern. I don't know if he's just, uh, you know, like a broken record or something, or he's just repeating <laughs> the last thing he said at this point. But, yeah, so we're, I'm guessing it's just kind of like a soft reminder of what, what what's what's lying ahead here. That's how I took it. I'm like, okay, this has been, you know, you got to remember it was a, it was a week between episodes, you know. Um, so yeah, I think that that's um, um, 
you know, was, was exactly that was kind of a reminder and it does kind of sort of, you know, I mean, I'll give it a pass because it's Mike, it's a lodge entity and he's not really talking right the whole time. So it kind of makes sense that he wouldn't be able to say that it was the lodge. You know what I mean? So it makes sense. It makes sense. So yeah. then, so then Gerard, um, uh, or excuse me, um, Truman tells Hawk to go search Harold's apartment. Yeah. Uh, because of what happened before about the, about the diary because of the pages. Yeah. And, and I'm going to Ben Oregon. Yeah. <laughs> Secret stuff. Can't talk about it. Real hush, hush, Coop. <laughs> it makes me wonder like what's going on in Ben Bend Oregon, considering now we know like about Blue Rose and everything. <laughs> well that's uh, that's what I'm thinking. I mean, here you got this this massive Blue Rose case that's gone on for a long time, and yet Gordon's gonna go to Ben Oregon. So yeah, I wanna know that story too. Like, what the fuck's going on in Oregon? Yeah. And then he also reveals that pages were found in the boxcar where Laura was killed or coming came from a diary. Yes. So then it basically cuts right to, which is a crazy scene. They got Mike in a chair and they're parading everyone through. And they got just the craziest, wackiest characters like cheerleaders and sailors and weird shit going on. And they're just passing everybody by Mike and he's going, nope, nope, nope. Mike is also looking like he's having a panic attack. And honestly, I would be too if I was dragged <laughs> to a hotel and had people like coming up to me. Right. <laughs> to me like that. So I think there's maybe a couple things going on here with poor Mike. Yeah. Poor and, <laughs> and the other thing I was thinking about too, because I'll be honest, like when we were going to do this one, I watched this episode at least seven times. I can remember um, because I really wanted to have it in my head and have it fresh for this the thing that came to mind for me was that also how excuse me taxing that had to be if he has to like peer in and like look for this other entity in there i was thinking to myself okay i could see where you know in, in terms of the lore how that could be very taxing to mike where he's like trying to find Bob in these people. It can't just be like a simple I'm looking because I think if that was the case, he would have found Bob years ago. But then, of course, we'll get into that later. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll talk about the the road rage incident and firewalk. Mm -hmm. Is that, yeah, I, now I know what you're getting at here. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like he's flipping one off, but he has the all. <laughs> yes. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah. So. But yeah, I think it's taxing on Mike. And I think Mike's concerned because it's taxing without the chemicals. I think it's taxing on Philip. And he, mm -hmm. as we discussed last time, we don't think Mike is, you know, he's a he he's a helpful entity of the lodges. So I don't think he wants to put Philip in harm's way. So I think he gets nervous when Philip's in pain too. And as That's we'll brief. find out, there is communication between these entities and their hosts because uh Bob lets one out during the reveal. Yes, and so does the giant. The giant, too. And Senior Drool Cup. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Senior Drool Cup. Yes. 
But yeah, so Mike's having a bad reaction, and they kind of uh, they're imposing this with uh, Ben Horn chomping on a cigar, storming through his hotel, wonder because he's wondering what the commotion is. But this is kind of like what the, we we talked about briefly in that uh, they did film two reveals. Yes. And we'll, uh, I mean, we've already laid out who killed Aura Palmer, but I'll just kind of just say it's just like this is like a, a red herring with Ben. It's like yes. a, it's a distraction. It's used purposely. And I think it worked because I think when I first watched this, and I didn't get to watch it live because I think they'd moved it to a different night. I think they moved it from Sundays to like a school night and a little later. So I had to watch this on a VHS tape that my dad taped like the next day or that weekend. So, so yeah, it's, uh, you're, you're automatically thinking like, Oh crap, it's Ben. And they lay a lot of red herrings toward Ben in this, especially when he's talking to, uh, to his daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And they lay a, yeah, they do. There's a lot of things that are pointing towards Ben Horn this entire episode. And so, yeah, so as soon as Ben enters the lobby, pissed off, Gerard flips out. And um, that's kind of the end of the scene. He just, you know, they're trying to get him under control. And and then it cuts to Deputy Hawk, um, who's at Harold Smith's and finds him dead. Yeah, he has hung himself. He's hung himself. And this, his whole place is a fucking wreck. It's just destroyed. Books and everything are just torn up. The house looks like a fucking disaster. Now, yeah. Do you think he did this? I mean, there's part of it, like my, I've thought for years that Harold did this, but it also feels like turning over that place, it felt like maybe somebody else did that too. So somebody else could have been somebody who knew what it was yeah well so i think as you and i talked about in our last episode i think there would have been more with with harold and i think it was and uh, i think maybe harold was harboring uh, i i do think harold was harboring a lodge entity and i think that lodge entity did it i don't think harold did it himself and i think the fact that the suicide note which was a jai unam solitaire um I'm a lonely soul. I, I'm a lonely soul, which is how the title, which is how the episode got its name. But that becomes important in the next couple of episodes. And that, um, I, to me, that's the link that was like, okay, so I think it wasn't necessarily, quote, Harold, but I think it was whatever was in Harold. Yeah, because he was living next door to Lodge Entities. Mm-hmm. We haven't got to the, like, well, we know it. But we haven't gotten to like the reveal for what Donna sees. Uh, it was really Mrs. Tremont. Exactly. Exactly. We've seen the Tremonts since so that I, one episode. Yeah. So I think there's something protecting Harold in his house, and we all know wood is an important thing. So it could be something. Something like that. Something yeah. that his house is built out of. We don't know. I we mean, obviously, know. this is Lynch's Lynch Frost world. They don't give us all the answers, which makes it so much fun. For us mm-hmm. to be interpreting this, yeah, but I I do think Harold. I think if I think had things gone the way they would have gone, I think we would have learned that Harold was going to be a much bigger deal, as you and I talked about last podcast. And 
Um, it doesn't feel like this was what the Harold character would have done, but I don't think it was anyone necessary. Like, I don't think it was Bob breaking in and doing it. I do think it's, I do think it was something with the lodge entities doing it. Um, well, because like in Firewalk with me, we do see Bob, he turns over Laura's bedroom in a similar way. That's why I kind of thought that as a bit. Yeah, but I, 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 I know where you're going with that. The, the only um, the only thing I'll disagree with on that, though, was also in Firewalk with me, you learned that that's the reason why she gave Harold, because um, Bob wouldn't know who, who, Harold. who Harold was. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. So that's just my thought on it. But yes, I don't think it was Harold himself. I do think it's a Lodge entity. I just think it's one that he was, had in him that flipped out. Um, because even in the short couple of episodes, you know, Harold is a kind of a, also a dualistic character. I mean, he's this, you know, um, nerdy, shy, whatever, nice guy, but then he's feeding booze or drinking and having Donna, an underage high school girl tell him sex stories. So there was something going on there. And Speaking of dualism, like we've kind of touched on it, but this because we're going in the, this next scene, and this is kind of showing dual, Lynch's approach to dualism, light and dark, uh, contrasting against one another, and uh, it's uh, it's Maddie, mm-hmm. it's Palmer House, and the record the 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 record players playing uh, "What a Wonderful World" by Louis Armstrong. Yes, and you, if with we juxtapose this scene. With the reveal, it's just it's more of that dualism of like here's the lighter side of this, and then we see the dark side of like mm-hmm. almost you know same spots, same area, same people. Yes. So yeah. So Maddie says that she's this that she's going to tell Uncle Leland and Aunt Sarah that she's going to go back to Missoula because she has her job and she has her life. And, um, Leland's taking it pretty well. Leland's like, yeah, Leland's like, you know what? We totally understand. You have your life. And even Sarah's like, we do. We understand. What? (laughs) Sarah probably want, because I'm sure she needs, Leland's gone back to work. I'm sure Sarah wants somebody around. Yeah. And let's be, I mean, let's be fair. Maddie is, is Laura. I mean, Maddie looks exactly like Laura. So, I think that had a lot to do with it as well. So, yeah. So that is just yeah. It's a it's a it's a very touching scene. It's a very understanding scene, and it ends with all of them kind of hugging and yeah. um uh, and it's the flip side to of what's to come. Yes, which is like again, I just these themes that Lynch Lynch and Frost put into this is and it's it's evident. And like, I'm not as familiar with. Frost work outside of Twin Peaks, but this is a lot of. It's always the devil and David Lynch to an extent, mm-hmm. in everything he does, except for maybe Elephant Man doesn't really. A little bit of it does, but like Mulholland Drive, uh, Lost Highway, uh, Wild at Heart to an extent. It's uh, dualism is his thing. He likes the light and the dark. He likes mm-hmm. to show something bright and shiny. It's like the opening of Blue Velvet. It's like this scenic, 
you know, 1950s Americana, and it goes all the way, and, like, underneath it, he just shows ants just burrowing away. Yes, ants and centipedes. And I'll even go to, say, Dune to an extent, because I think that's what kind of drew Lynch to that, was the fact that you had the main character becoming a, a, a different character. Um, and I think, you know, it wasn't as much to the extent as I think Lynch would have liked, but I think he saw that one. Okay. I can do something with that. It'll be as little as it was. Um, speaking of things to come, Bobby and <laughs> Shelly are dealing with, are dealing with, uh, a very childlike Leo. Yeah. Uh, He's got gump on his face. Uh, he uh, Shelly's only getting forty-two bucks a month now after all the insurance takes everything. And Bobby is like now. It, it, it's funny when Lynch comes back to these, this world, especially like in the first two seasons, in that he treats these characters like how they were supposed to be. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like Bobby's a selfish prick. Yep, that's how we were introduced to him. So he's yep. doing this to Shelly, like, which is kind of like a 180 from what we were seeing up to this point. Like, Lynch is like, no, this is this is who he is. <laughs> like, he's a dick. Yep. And he's going to be a dick to Shelly. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because Shelly's going, what are we going to do, Bobby? He's like, we? I'm supposed to be in, what, home ec class or something? Like, some fucking bullshit. It feels bullshit. like a commentary on where the series has gone at this point, where he's like, yeah, well, aren't I supposed to be in school? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Terry on the show's like ditching this premise of these are high school kids. Yeah, um, it's so, and then and then we get the and then we get the new shoes. Uh, which, which it's funny. Uh, it seems like Bobby forgets. I, I think uh, it's in the pilot. Leo throws the football with the coke in it, and he's he before he does it like, Daddy needs a new pair of shoes. Like this is what Leo says to all. I think we, his drug runners is like, I need my money. Where's my money? I need new shoes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but Bobby's just like forgets that he had the. Maybe it's because he was threatening him with a gun and everything. But again, as I like to point out in every every episode, Bobby killed a cop. <laughs> Bobby killed a cop, and. But the thing is, is that I go, okay, here's, if there, if the new shoes was a clue, which I, I think maybe it had been, it was the new shoes he bought from, from Philip slash Mike, and it was the ones they found with the cocaine underneath the floorboards. So, so that's kind of already been done and had, but as we'll find out, um, I'm just going to get through this whole part. So we see the return of Snake. Is Mike? We're not. We're not calling him Mike. <laughs> God damn it, Paul! No, just just don't entertain this. It, it was bad writing, then. We don't have to acknowledge it. <laughs> Look, everybody, we love Twin Peaks, but we can admit when they fuck things up. And calling him Snake was a fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah so Mike Mike slash AKA Snake and no, that's what I'm calling. No. <laughs> no. You just call him Mike and finish your sentence. <laughs> they show up and he's talking about you know Shelly's gone. She's at the diner. She's telling Norma that she has to quit because she has to take care of Leo full time. And, I feel, and 
It's actually that's what done well. I feel bad for Shelly. You can tell she's this is like she actually likes working there. Yes, yes. Um, that was a that was a um, a great a great scene. You, yeah, and it was just showed the friendship between the two of them, and um, um, yeah. So well, well, she's doing that. The adventures of Bobby and Snake are uh, <laughs> Mike. Are uh, so. You, Mike brings up the idea that you know people mule things in their in their in their shoes, so boom, they find a hidden micro uh, micro cassette, which will set up Jesus Christ the story later. So, which I think uh, at least they're like leaving some clues, and I I don't know if they knew where they were going to go with this, but at least they're like it, it intrigues intrigues me. At least yes. when I see this, I'm just like, that's interesting. That like, there could have been so many possibilities with that, because uh, I'm going to talk about it briefly uh, right now. Is uh, Lynch leaves after this? Frost sticks around for a little bit, but their intention was, it, if we're going to reveal, then the next mystery is not who killed Laura Palmer, but why Laura Palmer was killed. Yes. Is what we're going to kind of focus on. Yeah. So I think they're kind of laying the groundwork here, but then I'm sure just. F, things just blow up after this episode. Real quick, real quick, things blow up. Um, <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> so, um, they, so yeah, there's the touching scene there, and then now we uh, go to Audrey and Ben. No, not yet. Well, we'll get to Audrey and Ben. I want to get rid of some of this fucking CD stuff first, if you don't mind. Is there? Uh, there's more. Oh, there's more because Nadine and Ed show up at the oh, time. Yeah. Who cares? Don't skip it. It's just Nadine's super strength. It's stupid. We know Lynch likes it because he brings this kind of comic booky stuff into the return. It's yeah. All I can say is like Pe- Peggy Lipton is stunning in this, and I just want to throw that out there. She was a very stunning woman. Looking yes, up. yes, Penny Lip. Yes, Peggy Lipton is a very stunning looking woman um very 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 attractive at this time so now we go to ben all right fine so we got that yeah. now we go to ben and audrey because <clears throat> nothing really it's just it's more nadine's dementia or whatever until she gets snaps back it doesn't add anything to the story it's just i think lynch just threw it in there for whatever reason but uh we get the and i like this because we've talked about it before um lynch and frost gave us some very strong female lead characters and audrey being number one on that Mm -hmm. list this is the scene where for me i think it just shows just how powerful of a character she is and how much sway she has over her father because she confronts him basically just like hey i know you own one-eyed jacks Mm -hmm. i was there and ben's kind of like playing it off like oh god here we go again until she mentions I was the one you tried to rape that day. Yeah. Yep, yep. She goes, remember Prudence? I wore a white mask. And Ben goes, oh, fuck. And realizes he is busted. Yeah, he's caught red-handed. He, uh, you can tell that Audrey in his eyes is the future of the Horn Empire. He has, even when he's caught, he has a lot of respect for her. And he answers her questions honestly. Like, look, yep. He he uh he's owned one eyed jacks for five years. Yep. 
he not only slept with Laura Palmer, he loved her. Which is a weird turn for that, and they never really touch upon it, as far as from what I can recall. But no, no, uh, they don't. But he was, you know, he's straight up with his daughter who caught him red-handed. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm a shitty person. Mm-hmm. Like, this is who I am, and it's it's a it's really an, it's an intense scene, and I just love it. I just love how he's he's like a caught little school kid with his mom. That's that's how much weight Audrey holds over Ben. Uh, yes, and the other thing I you talk about strong female characters. Something I, I in the repeated viewings I actually really enjoyed about this scene is that <clears throat> they also and it's a very subtle, it's a very subtle thing, but they put very little makeup on um, Sherilyn Flynn. Yeah, um, in this Again, in this scene. She, this and like when she's in Cooper's bedroom when she had very little makeup on too. Stunning, just, yes. just stunning too. Yes, like, less makeup. I'm just like, wow, she is a, a stunning looking woman. Absolutely. I, not feeling like I'm feeling like a sexist, but I, I just it's be, they're beautiful women. I don't know, well, dude. Let's be okay. Let's be <laughs> fair though, and I'm gonna I'm gonna flip this on you though. This is also it's not just beautiful women. There are some really good looking. I mean, Twin Peaks is a town full of good looking <laughs> people. Well, you got Agent Cooper. He's a catch. Mm-hmm. Bobby Briggs. He's a very good-looking guy. Hawk. Hawk. God. Yeah. Like you and cast that movie. You guys did like that list of like man crushes. Mm-hmm. I mean, Hawk probably not in my top three, but he's at least in my top ten. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Michael Horse. Fucking a. Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah. I mean, you know, and and to be fair, even James. James is not a bad-looking guy. You shut so, your whore mouth. We're not talking to James. <laughs> so, point is, is that Twin Peaks has some... A snake is good looking. Um, so I'm sorry, I went deaf there for a minute. <laughs> so, yeah, the point is, is that there are some very attractive looking people in this small ass town of less than 5,000 people. But the other thing I loved about that, about that was also, it shows that she is, like, I felt part of that whole thing with her not having the makeup on her being very pale was part of this. She's recovering from fucking heroin addiction and is calling her old man out on owning a brothel. Jesus Christ. I mean, it's not been fucking a day that she's been off the fucking sauce and she's already being feisty as fucking trying to get answers. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, man, to be that young and be able to kick heroin within a few hours. Dude, God, those were the days. Uh, so, so everyone shows up at Harold's and they find the, the Laura's Palmer diary that's written, that's all torn up. So Cooper's back at the police station and he's putting things together. And he talks about, he sees the repeated references to Bob yep. in this and how he which is for the fact that this was network television the fact that they were able to get away with even the fact of being able to put up that she was sexually abused since childhood um was crazy and refers to bob as a friend of her father and then finds an entry that says someday i'm going to tell the world about ben horn i'm going to tell the world exactly who ben horn is 
And at that exact moment, Audrey enters. Yep. And she tells Coop what she's learned from her father. Like, uh, she does what Donna and James and all these people should do when they get information. Like, go right to the, go to law enforcement. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Thank you, Audrey, for being a responsible citizen, unlike your dipshit high school cohorts. Donna. Nancy Drew mysteries. Yep. Donna Drew's mysteries. Um, and you know, and and again, um, uh, it, it just goes to show how freaking smart of a character um, Audrey is. And so, yeah, she tells Cooper everything that her dad told her that he slept with Laura, that he owned One Eyed Jacks. Um, and now, to Ben's credit. Uh, we skipped over a little bit. You know, when he, when she's asking the questions of Ben, you know, he's like, "Did you know she was working there?" He's like, "No." She wanted a job at the at the at the department store, and she got the perfume counter, and Bad has sent her without my fucking approval. Yeah. And then she's like, "But did you did you sleep with her? Did you? You know?" And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, I did." And she's like, "Did you kill him? And did you kill her?" And he says, "I loved her." And we should also remind uh, Laura was such a hot mess at One Eyed Jacks that she worked one night and was booted by Blackie for being fucked up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And when you look at all the shit that Audrey Horn pulled, it had to be a lot of shit that fucking that fucking. <laughs> so again, uh, uh, the Rolling Stones for being a drug addict. You know? Right, right. It's kind of I, I equate it to the um, to the Charlie Sheen story where. Um, Charlie Sheen talks about the night he was out partying with Slash and Slash sat him down and took a bump from his coke ring and told him that he needed to go to rehab. <laughs> <laughs> so there's that. Um, so then uh, after she, you know, he's like, don't tell anyone what you said. Go home, you know, be safe. He grabs Truman. He said the giant's message without chemicals, he points. And he was pointing when Ben Horn entered the room and we need a warrant for the arrest of Benjamin Horn. Yeah. So this is like, I think at this point people are like, Oh, we got the who killed Laura Palmer mystery. Yep. All right. Good work, everybody. We're no, 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 nope. You know why? Because it's Taja Mora time. That's why ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Yeah. So Taja Mora is at Ben's office. They're finalizing the worst business deal in television history that we've touched upon a lot in that Ben's selling development on property does he own it now i think josie sent it over so maybe yeah he could, he does own it now i think he finally owns it yep finally owns it so hey ben at least you you did this part right but what you don't want to have happen when you're talking with your investors is getting arrested for murder <laughs> no I'm, okay so we're gonna learn in a little bit here what 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 the what what the reveal is with with the first reveal of the episode, which is who is Tajamora. So, still haunted to this day. So Tajamora has this check for five million, right? And, um, you know, he's, hey, we, we went to Japan. We checked it with all your investors. Everything's on the up and up. This is good. You know, we're gonna run through with this, and then they all show up and they, you know, he's like, what are you doing here? I got a business. And he's like, you're under arrest for the, you know, in, in connection to the murder of Laura Palmer. And Ben can't believe it. And Ben's like, I'm going to go get a sandwich. 
Yeah, you well, know. he's like I know powerful people. He's he's like a a rat in a cage at this point. Like he's never experienced being on this side of the law, and mm-hmm. you can tell it's uh it's what the kids call these days uh, white privilege. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Affluence. Like this is like I, I wrote my notes like. I imagine if Trump was ever arrested for something, this would be exactly how he would act. Like, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take a walk. I'm going to go get a sandwich. You know, like, no, you can't buy your way out of this, man. Like, you're caught. You're, you have some bad evidence against you. Like, you don't get to just walk away from an FBI agent like that. Um, yeah, and the the thing I liked about this one, which also goes to the story and, and knowing that. There was going to be the, the the other reveal that was going to be Ben, at uh, that could have been Ben at some point, although we know it wasn't. Um, when they arrest him, he the way he yells no is very is a very different way that he's that had, had he been talking the entire episode, or even to the series at this point. Mm-hmm. We have not seen Ben like this. Yeah, because he's just no, no, and like his voice changed almost and you're just like whoa what is going like it leads more credence to the red herring that oh okay something's going on here with him yeah so they they take him off and tajamora is standing there like what the fuck do i do meanwhile let's get to the tajamora thing before we get because what comes up next is basically the reveal and i want to go through some other things with all right scenes that happened within that because there is a yeah, I want to talk about it a little bit, especially with like some elements of the return. So, like Mr. Tajamara, I'm confused how all this checked out for this man, considering it's Catherine. <laughs> Catherine survived the fire, right? And right. we find out because Mr. Tajamara breaks into Pete's house as he's having his midnight glass of milk or something, and just plants a big old kiss on him. Oh my like, God! Look here, Mister. Look here, Buster. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we love Pete Martell. We oh, love my Pete God. Martell. I love Pete Martell. Yes. Yes. So, yeah, they had been, I forget what the actor's name was, that they had been attributing for the last couple episodes. Um, Fumio, uh, Fumio Yamaguchi was, was Mr. Tajimura. Okay? No one on set knew that that was Piper Laurie. Um, And that was meant to be a big fucking secret. It's a big who gives a shit, I guess. It was such a weird thing to put Piper Laurie in Asian face. Yeah. Like, I mean, I guess it... Even at the time, that still feels wrong. Like, man, didn't we learn from Soul Man? Well, you know, Soul Man, well, man, that's a classic. That's a classic. That's uh, you know, that's that's C. Thomas Howell. Completely tank C. Thomas's C. Thomas Howell's career for the next two decades or anything. No, 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 didn't totally didn't ruin his career. But yes, no, you're absolutely right. Like, yeah, so they totally Charlie Chan the shit out of Piper Laurie, um, and made her fucking yellow face, and we're having her as a. To everyone on set for for the you know for days, weeks, whatever this fuck it took to do with this character, with this Tajimura character, we're having everyone go Fumio Yamaguchi. So, you know, that fucking happened. Um, 
So, yeah. Um, so this means, okay, so let's, let's dig in this a little bit. Because how, how in the short period of time, because we're going to find out in the next episode, and we are, we are going to jump ahead because it's C-plot, that she basically found herself in Pearl Lakes um, after the fire and was taking care of herself. But yet somehow during this time frame, she was able to create a fake Asian character, work with fake Asian investor, Japanese investors, and do all this shit. What the fuck, Joe? Yeah. Unless this was like her long game plan that we didn't know about, it makes zero sense. It does not add up. (laughs) Right. I don't care how much wackiness the Black Lodge can play around with time and whatever. Uh, This has nothing to do with it, so it's just bad writing yeah and this has got to be i mean at this point I mean, when you really dig into this you go this this is the doldrums that will that is that is the c and d plots of the second season it just things are just put in there because you you're supposed to accept it and it just breaks your brain you're like wait a minute wait a minute this doesn't make sense but give credit where credit's due piper laurie's a hell of an actress yeah <laughs> <laughs> I love Piper Laurie. Like, she's just great. She's, you know, as much as, like, I don't care for, like, the soap opera stuff of this show, I still like Catherine because she's a snarky, snarky son of a bitch, and I got to love her for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Yeah, yeah. And she was and is a tremendous actress. Um, So I will definitely... Um, you know, give her always her due as as it's owed. Um, <clears throat> so and now we lead into what ruined Joe and Paul's childhood. Yes. So we cut to a scene where um, Sarah Palmer is crawling down the stairs, crawling down the stairs, calling out for Leland, and she's obviously fucked up, and it just. Uh, it cuts to this eerie scene of this phonograph of a record that's playing that's skipping at the end. It cuts right to that, to everyone back at the sheriff with the log ben, lady. Yeah, Ben goes into the the holding cell and the log lady's there. Mm-hmm. And she, the log has something to tell Cooper and Harry, and that is uh, there are owls at the roadhouse. Yep, yep. She doesn't know when and she doesn't know how, but there are owls in the roadhouse. And, and she's obviously spooked, so she knows something is not right. Yep. And and Cooper, and this I love this because it reminds me of the Bob Dylan song Ballad of a Thin Man. Because Cooper goes, Something is happening, isn't it, Margaret? Which, you know, if you're familiar with that with that ballad of a thin man. The one of the main choruses, something is happening, but you don't know what it is, do you, Mr. Jones? So, um, they need to go to the roadhouse before they get to the roadhouse. It does this really creepy cut to, um, the outside and it, you know, the, the, the moon, and it just it really sets the tone. And we're back to Sarah, who's calling out for Leland, and then she sees. A pale horse yeah. in, in the living room and passes out. Now, I want to dive into this a little bit, Joe. What do you, th- I mean, there's we... two, uh, I think there's two obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. The horse 
One is a horse historically kind of represents it's slang for drugs. Yep. Sarah's obviously drugged. Yep. It's also I'm uh, biblical. I'm not. You're more. You know more about the biblical aspects, but I believe it in Revelations. It makes reference reference to a pale horse. Death is written on a pale. Death. The, yeah. The, death the, is written on a pale horse. And, yes. Uh, and the horse, uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's it's not a good sign. Uh, there's a lot of just, so there's, like, you have the dualism there. <laughs> you do. You have the dualism there. But I, now I'm going to bring up the return, and we don't have to go into much of it, but knowing what we know in the return, do you oh, think. The, the, the poem? Not even the poem, but knowing what we know about Sarah. Do you think that had something to do with that particular at lodge entity? I, th- I don't think. Well, one, what Sarah has is not a lodge entity. True. It's. Uh, we'll get into it. Well, we'll, we'll kind of. Well, since you're listening, like we'll, we might as well. Uh, I don't think because we know Judy is mm-hmm. in Sarah Palmer. Mm-hmm. And if you don't I know think, who Judy is, think, don't worry about it, guys. I've read some theories that's uh, about this in that uh, Judy comes and goes at times with Sarah. Because mm-hmm. that, that's like how they... Uh, how, I'll, I'll share a video. I watched a really interesting like theory on this. I'll share it with you later. But yeah, I, have, uh, I don't think Judy's here. And I don't think Judy is always... With Sarah, I think Judy implanted uh, the seed to be able to inhabit Sarah, but it just seems weird to have Judy and this other entity in the same house, considering right. that they've been searching for her. Yes, yes, absolutely. It seems very interesting. And when you think about what that dynamic is, so. Okay, so and that is fair enough. And, you know, at the time, it's very well known because probably Judy wasn't a big wasn't even thought about really or was yeah, just Judy was not a thing at this point. Yeah. So that doesn't come till fire walk with me. Yeah. Why don't you tell us what your theories on the horse? So I well, obviously I thought the same thing. It had to do with the with, with the with the death, um, with the um with the drugs, obviously. Because we also but see I, the horse in the lodge too <laughs> in the return. Yes. Pulls me off a bit. Yeah, it does throw me off a little bit. But I also wonder if much like, so the theory is, is that the, the, the cutting of the scenes when you see the stoplights, um, red is when the black lodge is open, green is when the, uh, the white lodge is open. It's one of the theories. Um, I wonder if this, if this isn't something, because again, you look at the return with the horse, you kind of look at, I think the horse, wasn't the horse in, was it the return? I thought it was also in Firewalk with me. I could be wrong on that. I think it might have been in Firewalk with me and and the return. I think it is in Firewalk with me. I think uh, Sarah is drugged the night. Yes. Yeah, because yep. Leland. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yep. He forces that milk mm-hmm. that he laces with whatever. Yes. So I wonder if the horse having shown up at certain times is like a sign that you know, much like it being the 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 horse, you know, the the death horse, but is being something along the uh, of like, hey, the black lodge is doing something terrible. Yeah, 
because yeah, I think that is uh, it's. I think it's a signifier that something is it is happening again. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And I think that is. I think that is exactly what it is. It's the repeater. And so then it then it cuts to Leland fixing his tie. Nope. Nope. We go oh. back to the roadhouse first. That's right. That's right. So no. Nope. Nope, yeah, they do go to Leland fixing his tie, but that's it. Then it cuts to the roadhouse, yeah, but it yeah, does pan um, to Leland. And so we go to the roadhouse, and this is where uh, I think, uh, because it, it's funny, because my theory with the return, and I'm just going to throw this out here, is that people were confused by, like, the people kind of, like, at the end of each episode, I'd go to the roadhouse, and people were just kind of, like, talking about their lives and what's been going on in Twin Peaks, but we have no backstory. But we see uh, Donna and James doing this exact same thing. And I think what The Return was doing is like, yeah, life is still continuing on in Twin Peaks. We just don't have to, you know, you don't need to know all the stories going on. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I absolutely... I, because it's shot the same. It's shot yep. at, like the same angles in the booth with Donna and James. You can mirror those with like the random... No, people we just never know in the return. Yep, yep, a hundred percent. I completely agree with you. So the roadhouse. So yeah, Cooper, Truman, and Log later there, which is filled with the sailors uh, from the yeah uh, from the the Great Northern. Donna Julie, and James are there. Julie Cruz is singing. Julie Cruz is singing, and Julie Cruz is amazing. Although the horn section throws me off a little bit here and there. Um, But, um, uh, yeah, so James and Don are talking about Harold dying, Maddie, and, you know, I look at Laura Flynn Boyle in this particular scene, and she, uh, uh, just, her entire look, her entire character, her entire thing, really just sums up, like, the Gen X female (laughs) <laughs> of the 90s <laughs> you know what i mean yes yeah uh, i do but yeah so they're talking uh maddie's going back to missoula yep. was like, oh she did uh she didn't tell me and we're getting this conversation again like in the return we keep hearing about what's who is the character they keep talking about like these random like there's like a thread in the return but like yeah it's just kind of like you're talking about what happened in your day or whatever and uh cooper's there and then uh oof then uh julie cruz starts singing falling mm-hmm. and that's uh she vanishes like in the song the lights go out spotlight on cooper and the music starts. on the giant mm-hmm. and then the music starts that dark music starts mm-hmm. yeah and the giant is He's not warning Cooper. He's not giving it. He's breaking the news. Basically, like, Cooper dropped the ball. Yeah. It's he's, happening again. It's it's happening again. It's happening again. Yeah. And uh, after the reveal, it's interesting that everybody seems to notice something's wrong. And Cooper's yes. on his face like, I fucked up. Yep. He doesn't know why. Nobody knows why yet. Just Nobody this, knows why. And we'll see. Yeah. People are crying. And it's not the song. I think it's just the atmosphere in Twin Peaks has taken a dark turn. And I think it might remind everybody of the night Laura died. And I think there's something to the 
the fact that all these things happen in the roadhouse. The roadhouse is something. It's there's something with the roadhouse because yeah, and I think it goes to show how there's certain sensitive people because not everyone feels it. No, but and Bobby does. Bobby does. And uh, Donna and does. Donna does and Cooper does. Yeah. And the yep. log kitty seemed to know that this was what was gonna happen. I think intuitively. I don't think she knew the logistics, but I think she knew this is, yeah, something went wrong. Mm-hmm. Cooper didn't follow all the rules or something. And I think Cooper realizes, like, he must have missed something because there's no – it's happening again, and they he can't do anything to stop it. The wheels mm-hmm. are in motion. And so. the wheels in motion flips back to Leland doing his tie, and I feel like crying in terror <laughs> because it's – Fucking frightening. Uh-huh. So Leland's smiling in the mirror. He's fixing his fixing his tie. And then it cuts to him. And then it cuts back to the mirror. And it's Bob. And then you see Lee cuts back to Leland. And then he's adjusting his tie. But then there's like a superimposed Bob over his head laughing and cackling. And it's crazy. And then... Leland goes and grabs some latex gloves. Um, Maddie starts yelling. Um, she's smelling something burning. She's smelling something burning, and she comes down, and she sees Sarah unconscious on the floor. And I believe she sees Bob the entire time. I do, too. I don't think she saw Leland. I think she saw Bob. She uh, screams. I think Fire Walk With Me confirms that with mm-hmm. retired Laura's molested by bob she sees bob yeah, yeah. For, there's one reason when she finds out who it's like the reverse she finds out who bob is as opposed to <laughs> you know. yes yes because she's calling out one night who are you who are you who are you and then she sees who he is and so leland's grinning and it's going back and forth and she's screaming okay joe this is the time to talk about our kids her. He straight up just punches her, too. That's just, like, another, yeah. Let's talk about what happened to us as kids here. All right, what's your experience? All right, so, like I said earlier, my I believe my dad taped it, and then I watched it, because I don't remember watching it live. I remember I had to re-watch a VHS copy. Uh, again, I think I might have switched nights, so I wasn't able to watch or whatever. Uh, so I'm a, I'm by myself in the in a dark, my parents' bedroom with a VCR or something or in the living room by myself. It was like after school and I, you know, my parents were both working. My memory is that the surrounding is like not really relevant. I just remember I was in the dark watching this Mm -hmm. and oh my God, I, people have to remember we were nine, nine years old. Yeah. This is not, (laughs) <laughs> and it's network TV. Uh-huh. And if you're listening to this, you've obviously watched it. Uh, imagine seeing that through the eyes of a nine-year-old. So. It, it fucked me up. And I remember, the, the, the weird part is I remember after I watched this, after Bob Leland kills Maddie, I was like gobsmacked. And I went and played with my friends like, right afterwards and i was describing what i saw to them and like my buddy to this day he's like yeah you describing that like gave me nightmares and i didn't even watch the show 
because I went into such vivid detail of what was going on because I was just like, what the fuck? So I was watching with my mom. My dad was upstairs watching something else. And we had the TV downstairs and it's dark. Me and my mom are on the couch <clears throat> watching this. And um, all I see is the part where up to the point where Leland's putting on the gloves. At that point, my mom goes, oh, shit, this is good. This could get bad. She throws the blanket over my head and will not let me see what's going on. So all I am hearing is that horrible, slow down, warped screaming that is going on. And it is just, I mean, I, I, my imagination is running wild on what is happening here. And um, that is how I experienced watching that for the first time. I couldn't see it. I could only hear it. And let me tell you something, hearing it and not being able to actually see what happened was way more traumatizing in my head than I think had I been able to see what actually happened. Um, and it took me years to ever go back and watch that episode because I had nightmares from those sounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I, like when you, that's fucked up, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like when you told me that story the first time. Yeah. That's, I couldn't, yeah. It, that scene's just, Lynch is a master of horror. And like people often need to remember, he's also very particular about sound. Yes. So, if you just listen to that, it's probably it's just as terrifying as what you're seeing. Oh, it, it it really is. I mean, I invite anyone to have watched that scene and just close your eyes or you know put a pillow over your head or whatever and just listen to it. It is a terrifying scene. Just the whole warbling and how it's going back and forth. So he straight up punches her. Yeah. He strangles her and beats her he beats her yeah it's vile like i can't believe this was on network television i'm still shocked well it's i mean it's even i read an interview like lynch was like yeah i'm surprised but he's like i guess you do it it's surreal enough that it gets by the censors yes 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 and actually have that quote pulled up for later yes uh, absolutely um so then we get this really interesting dynamic going on where Leland is dancing with, with, and I have a couple of theories on this, by the way. She's, she's beaten pretty bad, but I mean, I, I, I think she's barely conscious at this point. Yes. He, yes. And he's dancing with her, but it's cutting in between scenes of him dancing and crying for Laura intermixed with scenes of Bob. Lusting for her. Like, I mean, it's, I took that as very implied rape. Yeah, because he's, like, all over her. Like, he's mm -hmm. mon or, like, Leland's crying. Bob is, he's in rape mode. Yeah, he is in, he is in full-on, like, fucking Weinstein rape mode here. Um, And then this goes on for, like, four minutes. This whole scene goes on for for four minutes. It's timed out at four minutes. And, uh, And then Bob gets angry. Yes. And he drops a thing that kind of goes with what we're talking about, the lodge entities. He says, Leland told me you're going back to Missoula. 
<laughs> now, I will admit, having watched it so many times this time, I did laugh at the way <laughs> Leland says, you're going back to Missoula, Montana! <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we can laugh at this I can trauma. Laugh at, at this trauma now, but just the way he says it, there is a, there is a, there is a camp to it. And rams her face um, into the like glass it. picture frame. And if you notice, the words Mon- Missoula, Montana are in the lower corner of the picture. I did not notice that. That's a good touch. Yeah. Yeah, it was a great touch. And then he puts the finger, the, the cutout under her fingernail. Yep. And the giant goes away. The old waiter walks up to Cooper and says, I'm so sorry. Then, as we said before, Donna starts to cry. Bobby starts to cry. Cooper's sad. And the Cooper. whole thing. Cooper, he doesn't know what or why, Mm -hmm. but he knows he's fucked up somewhere along the line here. Like, it's just in the air now. It's, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So. Also, I just want to say just, uh, there's a lot of high school kids at this bar. Yeah. (laughs) A lot of high school kids hanging out at the bar drinking and smoking. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Don't remember that in high school, but, you know, Different time. <laughs> well, you know, I will say I do. Maybe so, Tom Bar? Uh, no, mine was Bravo Burritos when it was still downtown. <laughs> that was everybody's. They served everybody. They served everybody. Um, so I want to talk about, you know, getting into the meaning of that. What do you think was going on there with the, with the, with the whole... Bob and Leland and the dancing and the cutting back and forth. I want your thoughts. Well, I think it was, again, the dualism. Uh, we see that Bob even alludes, like, Leland told me. So Leland knows Bob is in him. That, that gives it away. I don't think there's any ambiguity. I just don't think he knows what Bob is up to. Mm-hmm. I, I think Leland's purposely blocked out of... The Laura Palmer raping, the Laura Palmer mad murder, the uh, Maddie Ferguson. I don't think he remembers this. Uh, the Teresa it, Banks. Yeah, Teresa Banks. I don't think because it comes at him two episodes from now when it all comes yes. flooding back to him, and it just it crushes it. It literally kills him. It's. <laughs> I mean, that's just a lot of guilt, and I think what Lynch was doing was he was showing the grief of Leland knowing something's wrong and trying to hold on. And then we see Bob yes. murdering and raping and taking. And it's just like, that is that dualism there. That's just one's grieving and loss and one's taking. I, I'm going to agree with, with you. I'm, I'm part of that. I do. I, I love Love, love the idea of what you said there with part of it was was Leland grieving and trying to hold on. And there's this part, there's this thing inside of him that won't let him and is destroying. And I think that is so key. Um, And I think that is a really, 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 really like the centerpiece of it. 
of what deep down underneath all the layers are. It's kind of how we are our own worst enemy in a way because of the two different lives that we have or the two different um, aspects that we have within ourselves, I think is what Lynch is trying to say. I, but I also think on another level <clears throat> of what was going on there is I question, and, I've, and I want to bring this up to you and get your opinion on it, because I wonder, because it, if it, it was on network television and the way that we see in, in uh, Firewalk with me, how um, Leland doesn't switch as much. He's more always, you know, when, he, when, when Bob's in, Bob is there. So I think this was something else like get by the censors. And I think there were some really implied um, horrible things that were happening that they couldn't do on television. And I think this was Lynch's way of trying to, you know, do it. Um, but I believe that also, um, in a way, um, the switching back and forth was representing the basically the raping um, and destruction of innocence of Maddie's own being and soul. And that's what Bob was doing to her. That she was already basically dead before he threw her fucking um, into the into the picture frame. Yeah, I agree with that. I think yeah, this yeah, Bob is raping and killing her. Uh, that's what we're implied at least. I mm -hmm. mean, and that's where it goes back to Leland's trying to hold on a little bit, and that's a another thing with Leland is his ignorance of this. It's a mask of ignorance, which is li quite literally in the child character in Fire Walk With Me that's supposed to be Leland. Yeah. <laughs> He's literally wearing a mask over his face. Mm hmm So he can't see the horrors. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yes, and they show that in, in there. And, and, you know, you brought up, too. I don't know, though. The one thing I will disagree with is I don't know if, if you know, the thing he said, hey, Leland told me. I don't know if Leland was talking because when we get to that episode, we could talk about this now because now the big reveal's over with and everything. Then a couple episodes, we're going to get to the scene where they're interviewing Bob. And, you know, they're like, does, does Leland know? And he's like, Leland's a babe in the woods. Yeah. You know, there's a hole in his in his head where his conscience once was. But when I when I leave this body, I'm going to pull that like a ripcord and he's going to remember everything. I think that whatever Leland knew... Bob knew. Yeah. Well, I think that's just because Bob is inhabiting. Like, I yeah. Think, I think, you know, he's a parasite. He's seeing that. Uh, Leland's just an unwilling uh, host. He doesn't know. Well, he might have an idea that something's not right. <laughs> we, mm -hmm. we don't really know for sure at this point, at least. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's uh, – we do know Bob inhabited Lee, Leland. He – we don't know the extent, but I think Leland was sexually assaulted by his father or mother. I think so. I and think that's so. how Bob continues down the line. I it's through trauma. It's through childhood trauma. It's through trauma, because uh, the big thing in Fire Walk with me is Laura rejects letting Bob consume her. Yep, it's like yep. the big, that's the big thing from Fire Walk with me is Laura's inner battle, and it's ultimately she chooses. You know, she'd rather die than be bobs yes and it kind of is the whole i think that was very much lynch's way of, of showing um how to end a cycle yes you know cycle that, you. so leland yep. more likely was 
sexually assaulted himself. I mean, this uh, depending on how old Leland's character is and when we'll get into part eight of The Return, at least that's when uh, White Sands nuclear blast is what birthed Bob into the world, the evil. Yes. Yep. So it, might, it probably was we started with Leland's parents and then moved down the line. And moved down the line. Well, and I wonder if it wasn't even, it may not have been Leland's parents. Oh, it could have been because, I mean, I got that implied idea as well especially when he said hey you know the the guy the neighbor guy wanted you know do you want to play with fire little boy and flick matches at me i just assumed that he was getting molested by bob then yeah that's what i was too but like yeah. again, laura doesn't know she can't see leland she sees bob exactly so exactly. I think, like it was probably leland's or likely leland's dad or mom uh doing this to them they, they don't go into it but it's one of those oh uh, yeah so yeah uh, this is so a heavy just Bob. he didn't see who the actual vehicle was about. who the vehicle was right he only saw bob yep yep yep, yep. and, and I, think I think he blacked out the actual sexual abuse too i would agree with that i well just like i think he blacked out anything that he did again i don't think he ever knew he had slept with Teresa banks yeah, I don't think so either. I think that that because he let Bob consume him, and I think mm-hmm. Bob, like he says in two episodes from now, uh, he he shields this from Leland, not to protect him, but to use it as a final fuck you when he finally leaves there. His host. Yes, Bob is, Bob is evil. He's not Mike. He wants to rain as much destruction as possible, so he's doing this not to protect Leland, but. In Leland's last moments to make him realize the horror he's unleashed upon the world. Exactly. Exactly. And that gets more into, you know, you'll, you'll see kind of a similar aspect of it with, with the return as well. Um, uh, yeah, I, yeah, he wants to hurt everything and he doesn't give a fuck about his host. Um, you know, again, when he goes, he says something on the lines of, oh, Leland, you were a great vehicle, but you're done. I'm done with you. Fuck you. You know, that type of thing. Yeah, because Leland's going to jail. Bob doesn't want to be stuck. And as we all see in the return, once he has the means, he he, nothing holds Bob and his hosts. (laughs) Nothing. Even when his host host is a doppelganger. (laughs) Oh, God, that's that's a whole. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting to get into. So. This was a really heavy themed episode. And I think it really like when people, I think, try to talk about what is Twin Peaks and, you know, as the mythology has grown. I kind of look at it from this whole 14 episode run as like the original intention of of the show was to kind of show this duality. And basically, I think it was Lynch's take on abuse um, as as things go on and as the mythos has grown, I think the <clears throat> the narrative has shifted. But I do believe this was kind of the idea, the original idea of what Lynch was trying to say here. Especially if you look at Lynch's work from this time, abuse, uh, violent abuses, uh, violent, violent, un, uh, violent relationships. Mm-hmm. If you look at Blue Velvet, it's a lot of the same kind of like Frank Booth is pretty much a. He's a, you know, he's almost like a precursor to Bob. Absolutely, he is. Uh, Frank does have, a, I think, 
yeah, Frank is pure id in a sense. <laughs> yes. You see him at one point weeping like a child or whatever, but I mean, that's, I think that's going to make him not be completely, even though it's in a completely fucked up scene in that movie. But Bob, yeah, this is, you know, the devil and David Lynch. It's, uh, he, he really interested in showing the good and bad and then mm-hmm. flipping it on its head a bit. Yeah. Does the same. Well, you, oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was just going to say, yeah, I mean, you look at, you look at the, um, at kind of what the main character who was Kyle McLaughlin as well in Blue Velvet, you look at what he went through, right? Like, like he's this caring person and this woman wants him to be violent with her and he's giving into these urges and he's becoming this other thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. She's kind of making him Frank too. Mm -hmm. And that's not really him. And it's also, that's also like, uh, Isabella Rosalini's character, she's going through, and trauma is another big thing in Lynch's work. Absolutely, dealing with trauma, and I think uh, he's he's talked about like some weird things he's seen, and like I'm sure, like everybody, we all go through different traumas in life, and I think that sort of thing just really interests him, and it interested Frost. I think that's why they made you know the show started as a a town's trauma over yes uh, the death of. Laura Palmer. I mean, it's it's a collective trauma. Trauma kickstarts the story. Trauma ends the story as we know it, in a sense. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a this, this is a really heavy episode. So, real quick, I'm going to get into production notes, and then speaking of town trauma, I want to go over we've we've been talking about throughout. We've been kind of leaving it out these last couple episodes, but as we started the series with and said that we would get back to was the, was the trauma we went through, which was the story of, of Jacob Butterling. And um, we promised that we would finalize that when we got to this point real quick, before we get to that, I just want to say, you know, this was written by this, this, this episode, the writing credit goes to frost, but I believe Lynch had a hand on it as well. Uh, Um, I think they work best like this too. Uh, yes. They're kind of like like them working together. We kind of see it like when they they're not really together in certain mm-hmm. episodes. It's Lynch directs, but like Frost doesn't have a writing credit. It doesn't feel as cohesive. Like this feels as cohesive as the pilot to me. Yes, that they work. They gelled really well together. Lynch works really well with Frost's material at the i think they work together with it like maybe lynch didn't get you know the credit for whatever reason but yeah i think when it's just those two and i think that's why i like the return a lot when it's just those two left to their own devices you get something a little more special absolutely and that's exactly it lynch directed this one frost wrote it it's terrific they're the um, one of my childhood trauma pretty much um pretty much um lynch uh Later said that he was able, as you talked about this, um, to show more of the episode than he expected. He credited this to the unusual imaging, stating that if it's not quite standard, it sneaks through. Um, But it could have been not quite standard things that make it even more terrifying and disturbing. So because it wasn't the standards that they were used to, the standards of practices were like, "Uh, we don't know. Sure, go for it. Um, The cast of Twin Peaks did not know who would be revealed as the killer. Ray Wise was, had hoped that Leland was not going to be the murderer, and the whole idea disturbed him, and Rise remembered being called into a meeting with Lynch, Frost, Sherilyn, 
and Richard Beimer, um, who was um, uh, Ben Horn. And we're told that it was, and Lynch said, Lynch said, Ray, it was you. It was always <laughs> you. <laughs> yeah. Way to drop a bomb, but I, I, yeah. So, also, before we, I want to talk, is this is I know here before there was only three people who knew the reveal going yes. into season two is Mark Frost, David Lynch, and Jennifer Lynch. And they told her that so when she wrote the secret history or not secret, secret diary of Laura Palmer, that she would have that in her head and yes. maybe throw some red herrings toward that, which I believe she did, which she absolutely did. Absolutely didn't. And Lynch uh, mentioned that he tried to avoid the morality um, of it um, and really just tried to do um, what he wanted to do. And he really tried to base it on um, the um, the fugitive, the 1960s fugitive. So I think that's pretty much the notes I have, although I will say going into the ratings again, the initial broadcast was viewed by 17.2 million households, making it the 51st most watched broadcast episode for the week. Um, it represented 20% again of the available audience and 10.4% of all households. Um, this was a significant rise over the other episodes um, and following the, the significant drops afterwards. It was probably, it's considered a lot of people's favorite episode of the, um, of the whole show. Um, and, uh, you know, it makes everyone's top list of the nightmare fuels, creepiest shit. Um, IGN called it the number 16, uh, top creepiest moments of 10 of, of the TV. Um, people called it nightmare inducing. It's violent, disturbing. Um, the one, th the one nitpick that I have about that whole reveal scene is I will say that having watched it as many times as I did getting into this, there was one subtle thing that I think could have made it a little bit better that unlike my fifth, sixth, seventh, um, walkthrough or, um, we watch, um, kind of threw me off a little bit, which is crazy given how fucking traumatic this episode is that I put myself through that for this fucking podcast, Joe. <laughs> Um, <clears throat> is that I did notice that when they cut to finally the very first time they reveal that Bob is um, Leland and Leland is Bob, and I there 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 became like a musical note that I expected the music to hit like a crescendo or like a off beat or something like that. But that music, if you watch, stays the same. And I felt like that took away a little bit of it. That's my one nitpick of that whole scene, of that of that whole final epilogue or the finale of that episode, is there's just one musical note that was missed. And it's not that noticeable. I'm just nitpicking, bringing that up. Yeah, I... Yeah, that didn't bother me. I, I, right, right. It's like, uh, I think it'd be creepier if they just kept the, the record spinning noise. I think that would have just made it much more oh, terrifying. Yeah, <laughs> completely agree. Like, maybe it's a good thing they didn't do that. Um, and then that record noise thing, uh, that also, we, I just want to add, becomes a, a thing in the return. The very mm -hmm. first episode, one of the very first things you see 
is a clue, and it's that record noise that we kind of see from Leland's turntable. Yes. And uh, let me see. There was maybe was there one more other thing I wanted to add? Yeah, we also because we brought it up. They did film two reveals: one yes. with Ben Horn, one with uh, Ray Wise. They knew they were going to use the Ray Wise one, but this was also to keep it. Uh, so there was even if it leaked, nobody would have been known for sure since there was two reveals filmed. Correct. Yes, and, they were the, very, very secretive about it. The Richard Bremer one has never been released. Yeah, I've never seen it. Never seen it. And all the stuff. And I really wish we could because I think that'd be awesome to see. Oh, wait for the next four box sets from now. We'll probably get it. Maybe. I just bought the Z to A. So, you know. How is that? I haven't opened it. <laughs> oh, oh, all right. Well, you'll have to open it for when we do the missing pieces. Yes, I will have to open it for when we get the missing pieces. Although I'm debating just buying the missing pieces ones because I want to keep that one. I think because it's such a it's supposedly a really really limited one. So I'm not sure if I'm ever going to open it. Um, I may eventually, but I'm one of those types. I know I'm a prick like that. <laughs> so so this whole time as we were talking about. Um, this show has been mirroring what I think really added to mine and Joe's creepiness. We brought this up very early in the podcast, which is, you know, now been months ago, um, that on Sunday, October 22nd, 1989, the, a local kid by the name of Jacob Rutling was biking home from a Tom Thumb convenience store in St. Joe, which is six miles from our hometown. And really you can't even tell it's, you know, we used to go up there, I, uh, I, I used to date a girl and used to hang out at the Hardee's all the time out there. I mean, it's it's just, it was very seamless from where our hometown was, the town over, the town over. It was just kind of a sprawl. And um, they had gone to rent a movie. And he was, uh, Jake Welling was kidnapped by a man in a stocking cap and, uh, um, and a gun. Um, and had them ditch their bikes and took Jacob. And Jacob was never seen again. Um, we've gone over somewhat of the timeline, but I'm just going to get you guys kind of caught up. Um, was that uh, uh, two days later, um, October 24th, the investigators received a tip that Wetterling's disappearance may have been connected to a series of abductions to another town, which was a little bit farther away, probably about 10, 15 miles away. However, they would not investigate that tip for oh, more than two months. The gentleman that was revealed to be was a guy by the name of Danny Heinrich. And Danny Heinrich was first identified as a suspected child abductor in January of 89, um, a whole 10 months prior to Jacob Wedling being kidnapped. Um, for as a, another boy was kidnapped and assaulted, and for whatever reason, he was ruled out. Uh, came in December 12th, Heinrich was interviewed by two police, uh, FBI agents. Um, for the first time uh, in January, um, police, the Painesville police came forward to say that this this gentleman was considered a suspect for molestation episodes over the last couple of years over town. Two days later, he's interviewed again by sheriff's deputy and FBI. Two days later, he fails a lie detector chest, uh, test and is put under surveillance. A week, uh, 10 days later, they investigate his home. This is where shit gets fucked up right here. Three days after that, he was in a lineup and he was not identified by the victim in Cold Spring. 
but the lineup was not shown to any of the other victims or the two boys who were with Wetterling. And the fact that it had already been a year since this victim in Cold Spring had seen this guy. He was arrested about a week later and was charged with kidnapping and first-degree sexual misconduct uh, for the abduction of Cold Spring, but was released. Then March and April. Now the show released in April. Again, me and Joe had talked about this. We had, you know, we had seen the the, the sketches, and at this point, you know, there was all the speculation about what's going on. Everyone forgot about Heinrich. And by June of 1990, the uh, current uh, county sheriff uh, that this was done um, at the time said that he was completely forgotten about, and they just nope. Never went after him. 25 years later, this guy's arrested for child porn charges. And they put two and two together and are like, wait a minute, this guy was involved in the Wetterling kidnapping. What's going on here? They started pressing him on it for months. And in August 31st, Joe and I would finally have our, our, um, our town um, of Joe, August 31st of 2016, he showed the investigators where he killed and buried him and um, in a wooded area on a farm, which was the second burial site. He had buried him there in another place, and they found his jacket. So he went back out there and dug him up and moved him to this farm. Um, now he's, I don't understand, but he was sentenced to a federal prison in Oklahoma. He got 20 years, but not for the murder. No, that was uh, a bargaining chip. Uh, they just got him on the child porn charges. He would not be charged in the murder of Jacob Wetterling. Mm-hmm. And, so, uh, this, yeah, they got him on the one count of, uh, they, he pleaded guilty to one count of the 25 federal porn charges. Um, and agreed to give the details. Also, um, admitted to molesting the boy in, uh, in Cold Spring. And, um, he was sentenced to the maximum prison term of 20 years. However, the judge, uh, the sentencing judge said, quote, we won't pretend that this crime and sentence is about child pornography. It is also about changing the lives of so many children and parents who prayed for Jacob's return and also feared you coming out of the dark. Every child knows the story of Jacob Edeling. You stole the innocence of children in small towns in the cities of Minnesota and beyond. And that um, this crime is so heinous, so brutal and awful that it is unlikely society will ever let you go free. So... Yeah, it's then that was our Bob. That was our Bob. And there is a there's some I do like. uh, So his house, uh, I think, was in Cold Spring or Albany or something like that. It was in Cold Spring. Cold Spring. Like, uh, it's just just like this shitty rundown house, you know, because he got busted. Annandale. I'm sorry, it was Annandale. Annandale. Yeah, Annandale. Yeah. So it's the shitty house in Annandale or whatever. And what. Somebody in the community, like, after he'd bust and get jailed off, they bought it and then tore it down. Yeah. By, like, a nice, like, baptism by fire sort of thing, you know, like, 
the the monster is gone in a sense. Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> he's still out there. Uh, he'll probably die in prison. Uh, he won't be missed by anybody. <laughs> but yeah, no. he was our Bob. He was our and Bob, you, and you can read the details. The details of what he did to Jacob is such cold bloodedness. It's just it's fucking. That story is just so fucking tragic. Uh, yeah, he uh, kidnapped him, sexually assaulted him, molested him, killed him. Shot him in the back of the head. Shot him in the back of the head, drove him to a gravel pit, buried him, and then they found the jacket. So he went back out there, dug him up, and buried him on this farm. Yeah. yeah. Fucking, this guy was a monster. Yeah. And this guy got away with it. And um, if you're if you're interested in hearing more about a devoted podcast to that story, um, there is a podcast called In the Dark, and um, their first season is all about not the re- not the reveal of it, but about the mishandling of the of how badly Stearns County fucked up. Um, over the years on that. And uh, what was really interesting is, is that actually while they were recording that podcast nine months into their, into them doing, uh, not recording, but um, doing all, everything into it. Um, then this came out. And so they, they did a addendum episode, but yeah, the podcast itself is, is less about him and more about how, um, the investigation of the crime and the effects on its community and how it focuses on the systematic failures of the Stearns County Sheriff's Office, not only on this case, but a bunch of the case. And um, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Stearns County fucked something up this bad. Color me shocked. I am right. Oh, really? <laughs> Holy shit. Not Stearns. Not Stearns County. The Alabama of the North, as my buddy Dan calls it. What's that? <laughs> my buddy Dan calls St. Cloud and Stearns County the Alabama of North Minnesota. I, you know, I call it this. I've always called it the Mason Dixon line of Minnesota. <laughs> it, yeah. Once you the get there. If you're in St. Cloud, I feel bad for you. I feel terrible for you guys, especially since you guys, uh, you know, with yes. Voldemort running around, you guys uh, hit, hit, uh, Hit the uh, the the New York Times uh, uh, list of number one places that's going to go, and you're still having your fair. You're still having your county fair. Good job, guys. Yeah, and I'm mocking you, and I'm in North Dakota, people. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> so you know, I mean, yeah, that's. I mean, when you break everything down, and they kind of had this guy dead to rights, and it was just slipped through their hands. And again, you look at some of what was going on in Twin Peaks and you look at the clues. And like I said, you know, when you watch the show, those first 14 episodes, there is a lot of things that point to Leland. A lot of things. But there's also a lot of red herrings too. (laughs) There's a lot of red herrings as well. And, but, you know, so it's one of those things where it, it just, you know, to me, I, 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 there is such a life imitating art to this, um, in a way, 
Um, especially knowing, you know, what we find out within at the end of the episode, you know, at the end of the series where for 25 years and you guys, you know, at this point we can, we, I, I think we're done with kind of spoilers because the ultimate spoiler of the show is who killed Laura Palmer. But, oh, Mr. Fumajora. Well, yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, Mr. Tajimura. The good <laughs> right. Jesus Christ. Mr. Tajimura. Um, no, I thought it was M.T. Wentz. Uh, <laughs> John Justice Wheeler. John Justice Wheeler. Um, but, uh, you know, the fact is, is that at the end of the at the, at the end of the series, Bob gets away for 25 years. Yeah. And oddly enough, it's funny because the show came back uh, May of 2017, which was just, again, uh, months, like, what, six months, six months after. I yeah. Yes, <laughs> like it, it, it happened again. People. It happened again. It, it happened was, again. The timing is just so. Yeah, that's it's so weird. <laughs> it, like, it was. It happened again, and like the trauma came back, and then hey, Twin Peaks came back, right? And I was like, "What is happening right now? Why am I living in the eighties? Like, <laughs> like, like, like? Well, I should say early nineties." Because, yeah, that's exactly what it was. Um, so, yeah, it was crazy. The two things kind of really coincided. So, you know, I think at this point, I mean, this is really where we're going to wrap up the Jacob Welling side of the story and kind of our trauma there. And and really we'll you know, bring it up at the, the, the first episode of The Return, just to remind people, like, yeah, it was 25 years, you know, <laughs> the yeah. timing of. Twin Peaks coming back and then the solving of the Wetterling case is kind of like, it's, it's one of those like spooky coincidences. It is. It's a very, it's just, again, odd how this show really mimicked what happened there. And I, I will say, um, you know, I, I think this, you know, we, this was the trauma episode, which is why I decided to bring this all up now. We, me and Joe knew this was going to be the trauma episode. And going forward, after these next two episodes, we're going to, this, the, the snark, you guys, is going to come out real hard, real fast. Yeah. Uh, uh, we're just uh, doing most of it in two chunks, I believe. Yes. We're doing majority of it in two chunks. Yeah. Cause um, like, so we're going to do the next two episodes, Firewalk with me, and then two large chunks of season two, and then uh, the finale of season two, which if I had a choice my favorite episode of twin peaks it would probably be that one the, the season finale of season two I, i'm just a sucker for the red room stuff yeah i, I love so, the red room stuff so that's probably why it's up there and it's that one's also creepy as fuck it's not as creepy as uh, lonely souls but it is creepy it's up uh there's some things that are there that i go whoa how did they get away with that on tv as well but yeah, I think it's super creepy. I still think my favorite episode is probably either season or episode three or episode nine. Um, I think are my two favorites. And I think I have to go more with nine. I like three because that's when they first bring up, you know, the 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 that there's something else going on here. Right when they start kind of hinting at what the, um, what the that you know him and his Zen practices, and he's throwing the glass bottle, and there's just something that's going to be different here. 
But I really think that when you we first get introduced to the giant, um, I think is really for me when I like my love for the show really grew. And then unfortunately, after this episode traumatized me, and then my my mom stopped watching. Yeah, my uh, parents stopped. My dad stopped watching. Yep. I think a lot of people stop watching after this episode, and that's very apparent. Um, and so it would take me a long time um, before I'd ever come back and see the season uh, two. And by God, I didn't miss shit, no. except for that last episode. And also, interesting note, this is the only episode, Lonely Souls is the only episode that just had Frost as the writer and Lynch as the director. Every mm-hmm. other time it was either Lynch-Frost being a co-writing duo or it is uh, Frost with some other writers. This is the first one where it's just left the Mark does the writing, David does the directing. So that's kind of an interesting thing here, too, with that. Super interesting. Okay, so, Joe, let's talk a little bit about now what we all have else going on. What is going on with the Joe Down? We are... Uh... We are deep in Fast and Furious month. Um, you are balls deep, my yeah, friend. We just did the the Fast Five, which uh, brings in characters from like pretty much all the movies leading up to it, even from uh, the second movie, which seems like it was completely retconned until they bring uh, a right. character from that in. So, yeah, it's we're but we're we're in the balls out crazy, which I appreciate. Uh, we have Dwayne the Rock Johnson as Luke Hobbs. Yep, and I'm frankly, uh, uh, the Rock is America's uh, he's a goddamn American hero in my eyes. He's just like I I love the Rock. I don't care. I don't care. Man crush? Is it a man crush for you? No, oh, he's so muscly. No, no, but. Uh, no, but I just he just oozes charisma. I I pretty much like he can be in anything, and at least I I'll, I can enjoy him in it, even if it's a shitty movie. No, oh, you know you know what, man. I, I I will say this. I before we got the Disney Plus, I don't we we didn't really watch Disney movies, and now my my youngest is super huge into it. I did not know that he was in Moana, and was singing in that, and was one of the main characters in that, and I had a lot more respect for him. I was like. Man, I, you know what? That's not a bad song. And I was like, "Wait, The Rock saying that? Holy shit!" Yeah, dude's good. Yeah, he kind of—he's one of the few people who was able. Well, not few. He's like the only one who good who bloomed outside of pro wrestling. Started off as a big name wrestler and then went to the movies and made it on his own without having to rely on Vince McMahon and all that to keep him afloat. So, wait a minute, wait a minute, sir. Hold on a minute. You're gonna tell me. That you don't think Hot Rod has that distinction as well? He made one of the best, one of my favorite movies of all time, sir. Well, they they did. He did They Live, but he also went back to WWE. Well, so did The Rock. The Rock goes back. Well, the Rock goes back just like once every like few years. Like Roddy Piper kept going back and back until they had to eventually just say yeah we can't have you back anymore yeah fair enough all right all right i'll give you that but you know like roddy piper did you know do movies and all that but like again he he didn't become a global phenomenon outside of wwe like the rock did like yeah. you, you just got to give respect to that that's um, i that guess can't be I, an easy I, thing to do as you most of these guys are typecast as wrestlers like even hulk even hulk hogan you know fame uh, racist Hulk Hogan couldn't pull that off. 
No, 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 he couldn't. Even with Suburban Commando and uh, uh, No Holds Barred and what else did he do? Like Those are the only two. Oh, what about Santa Thund- McMuscles? Santa McMuscles. And what about the TV show Thunder in Paradise? enough about pro wrestling paul what's coming up for uh cast that movie uh oh fuck so we will be recording (sighs) jingle all the way recasting jingle all the way the arnold schwarzenegger christmas vehicle that was hoping the spot of franchise and uh we will be the dream project will be the story of theranos and Elizabeth Holmes, which was supposed to be made a movie and just didn't get done. Um, so, yeah, that's going to be our two recasts. Um, uh, we are now, you can find us on SoundCloud, YouTube, Spotify, and iTunes. You can find this podcast and all podcasts, uh, the Cast That Movie podcast as well on there. So everything now, you guys, you have, there's no reason you guys can find it, share it. There's, we made it very easy for you guys to find and listen to the, uh, the cast that movie podcast and the, um, uh, uh, podcast above a convenience store talking twin peaks. So anything else going on, Joe? Uh, not really. It's fast and furious month and talking twin peaks. Uh, I'm excited. Not really much for the next two episodes of this. Uh, I, I love talking Twin Peaks, but I'm really interested in us getting into Firewalk with me. That's going to be great. I'm so excited for us to get into that movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't think either of us, we, Paul and I have talked Twin Peaks a lot, but I don't think we've delved into like Firewalk with me a whole lot. We've talked nope. Return, we've talked the original series. Firewalk with me is just one of those things. It's just, I don't know. It's like the elephant in the room. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it is. It is because, you know, Fire Walk With Me was very, not only was it divisive as a as a David Lynch work of art, but it was divisive among the fans. Oh, yeah. Uh, and we'll discuss it. I had a certainly a rocky relationship with that movie. Uh, I'll talk about and how I developed a newfound respect for Fire Walk With Me through, oddly enough, not David Lynch, but one person who didn't even participate in the making of it mark frost interesting i yeah i want i can't wait to hear that story oh all right well i think we'll call it here um but again yeah check us out you guys there's four different ways now you're gonna be able to check out the podcast so look us up on youtube soundcloud um maybe if you're listening to it you're listening on one of those four ways spotify or um itunes but share you know get it out there and again um, we record every Monday and we will be happy to take any questions, comments, concerns you guys have and bring them up on air. Till next time, I'm Joe Fremming. And I'm Paul Muadib. And the owls are not what they seem. <laughs>